if you talk to most people, if you talk to parents and ask them, what is it that you want for your children? Or if you ask people from all different walks of life, what it is that matters most to them, it's living happy and fulfilled lives. And so I think there's so much that positive psychology can offer, and not just to folks who are in high performance or high success domains, but to a broad swath of the population. Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. This podcast focuses on exemplary leadership, the type of leadership that brings about positive, meaningful change in places that matter. We explore how these leaders make things happen and the lessons they learned along the way. I'm your host, Leanne Mallory. One of the positive consequences of the COVID-19 quarantine and social distancing has been the movement of expensive in-person conferences to the virtual realm. My attendance at one of these conferences led to my attendance at a breakout, led by my guest, Dr. Gloria Park, and one of her colleagues. She was co-presenting with Andrew Soren at the annual Summit for Conscious Capitalism in mid-April. The focus of their presentation was on regoling and resilience using a foundation of applied positive psychology and performance psychology. Of course, this session was set in the context of the massive disruptions caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. And by the way, we're going to be talking about many different topics and concepts, and you can find all of those links in the show notes. Here we are two and a half months later. And while we continue to experience the unrelenting devastation of COVID-19, we are now also finally coming face-to-face with the devastation of hundreds of years of racial injustice. Gloria Park is uniquely qualified to be talking about how we, as individuals and groups, continue to learn, grow, evolve, and perhaps even thrive during these challenges. When I began learning more about Dr. Park, here's what I found. Her academic training is in psychology and philosophy with the BA from Villanova, followed by a master's degree in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, and a doctorate in kinesiology, sport, and exercise psychology from Temple University. She's actually one of a small group of people in the world with training the expertise in both performance and applied positive psychology. I was also very intrigued to see the depth of her work with the military. I'm always wondering how a person launches the trajectory of their career, and I'm imagining her background as a competitive figure skater has something to do with it. Glory is going to be shedding light on all of this for us. We'll be mostly focused on how we can muster our own resilience and positive meaning making during these times. I was so inspired by what I learned in the workshop that I reached out to you, Gloria, and asked you to be a guest on the show. I'm so honored that you said yes, given my LinkedIn cold call. So thank you for being here. I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. Leanne, thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. It's an honor to be here. For sure. So I'm just curious what it was like to have me just reach out to you cold call and why you said yes to someone you don't even know. 
Well, I had the great fortune of having you be part of our conscious capitalism presentation. And so you would ask such interesting questions. And then for me too, we get a lot of these requests, but I felt compelled to say yes to you because in our discussions leading up to this podcast, we talked a lot about how women can help empower other women and how we can help each other elevate voices. And that's really what inspired me to be here today. I think in the fourth decade of my life, I've really thought about how I can be more intentional and purposeful about helping to elevate the voices of women, in particular minority women. And so I wanted to be here to share a little bit about my background, talk a little bit about the work that I do in performance psychology, which is an area where minority women's voices are historically not well heard. And so I'm really excited to be here today and have this conversation with you. Fantastic. Well, so while you were talking about your background, tell me about your career in figure skating. You know, just as a side note, in my work with leaders, I often find that there's a correlation or many people who do well in business have also done well in sports or they, mm-hmm. they have that in their background. So there's something about the discipline, the mindset of a high level athlete that seems to transfer well into business. And so I'm just curious about that part of your life as well. Yeah. So I immigrated to this country when I was 18 months old. My mom, we immigrated here from South Korea and my mom wanted me to play the piano like a proper young lady. But (laughs) instead of being able to sit down and practice for hours, I much preferred to go outside and come back with skin knees and a dirty face after running around (laughs) being a tomboy with my older brother. And so I think I was around five or six years old. I went to a birthday party at an ice rink and really just fell in love with figure skating and trained many hours every day and was very competitive up until the age of about 17. And so if you ask my coaches, they would tell you that I was the typical head case. So in terms of physical strength and talent, I had boatloads, but in terms of my mental skills and my emotional maturity, I had a long way to go. And so when I look back on that time and I think about what would have enabled me to be more successful, I was dealing with a lot of stress and a lot of pressure and just the balancing act of training early hours in the morning and in the afternoon and juggling school. And I had every resource available to me for my physical training I had jump coaches and spin coaches and off-ice training and ballet teachers and choreographers, but I really had very little in the way of resources to help me manage that stress and pressure. When I was 17, I was out at training camp and I got very badly injured and that was really the end of my career. And I remember my mom saying, well, what are you going to do if you're not going to (laughs) skate? And I looked at her and I said, I don't know, I guess I'll go to college. Uh, (laughs) So I ended up at Villanova and started studying psychology. And it was all the confirmation that I needed that helping people and especially young athletes to develop some basic skills and basic understanding of how psychology can help to foster talent and help to inform how to teach people to manage stress and manage pressure was something that I absolutely just fell in love with. And it's been no turning back since then. And then you went on and got your master's in applied positive psychology. And we talked about this before, but that seems like a fairly new 
discipline. Mm -hmm. And so can you, because we're going to be referring to that likely throughout this conversation, describe what positive psychology is and what it's not. Yeah, absolutely. So when I got into the Master of Applied Positive Psychology program at the University of Pennsylvania, it was actually the very first year the program was offered. And so it was brand new. And positive psychology as a field is all about helping people bring science to better understand what makes life worth living and how to help people experience thriving and well-being through multiple different pathways. And so if you think about psychology as a profession, historically, it's often focused on ameliorating clinical disorder or helping people to resolve problems that are getting in the way of leading fulfilled lives. And positive psychology was a movement that was started by Dr. Marty Seligman that really helps to bring scientific understanding into what makes life worth living and what makes people experience thriving and excellence and how to then continue fostering those through interventions so that we can enable people to live better lives. And so can those concepts be applied no matter what you're doing in life? Or is it primarily geared toward people who are high achievers or are in these high stress, high performance type jobs. And I know that it's high performance and positive psychology. Those are separate things, Mm -hmm. but I'm just curious about the link and the application to everyone. Yeah. I mean, I think positive psychology as a field has sometimes received criticism that it doesn't acknowledge suffering. And I don't think that's true. I think that's one of the misconceptions about the field that we're often engaging in dialogue about. But I think if you talk to most people, if you talk to parents and ask them, what is it that you want for your children? Or if you ask people from all different walks of life, what it is that matters most to them, it's living happy and fulfilled lives. And so I think there's so much that positive psychology can offer, and not just to folks who are in high performance or high success domains, but to a broad swath of the population. Yeah, I would love to see this getting more airtime in some of our less resourced areas of the world, actually. I'm not sure how that happens. That's a whole different conversation. But kind of pointing in that direction, when we met back in April, I think that there was, or at least I did, was thinking that COVID, I just didn't know, but I didn't know that we were still going to be so in the middle of it this far out with numbers in the US actually climbing. And I'm in Texas where it's there really climbing. And I'm noticing in myself, it's like, okay, that was novel in the beginning. And now I'm getting weary of it. I'm wondering what you and your colleagues are seeing at a meta level as you look at what's going on in the communities, in the world, as COVID continues on. And now with the new facing of the racial injustice. So I wonder how you guys are making sense of this and what you're watching for, what you're hoping for, et cetera. Yeah, I certainly did not imagine 2020 looking like this at the start of the year. And I think there are two main things that people are really struggling with. One is this complete reversal of having to think about how we live our lives. And so people have experience deep loss through the COVID pandemic, Mm -hmm. whether it's 
the loss of somebody that they love or the loss of important goals and aspirations. My child lost the remainder of his third grade year. There are athletes who I know who are no longer eligible to compete or Mm -hmm. lost competitions that they were looking forward to. And so I think collectively, everyone is dealing with this very deep sense of grief about things that matter deeply to them that now look no longer like they used to. So I think that's one meta observation I can make about where people are. And I think the second place where people are really struggling is the uncertainty. So it's one thing to muddle through and put one foot in front of the other if you know that there might be a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think the thing that is most disorienting about what people are experiencing now is that we feel like we don't know when that light at the end of the tunnel is ever going to appear. It's an ever-changing target. There are lots of variables involved in all of this. And people are really struggling with how do I craft and shape my life and live in a way that accounts for all of this uncertainty. And it's making it very disorienting and very, I think, anxiety-generating for a lot of the folks that I know. And so those are a lot of the issues that we've been hearing from people about what they're experiencing through this pandemic. It feels like a long time, but this has only been months, not years, not even a full year. Are you seeing things that make you hopeful or are you watching for certain indicators? I'm just curious, again, from a psychologist viewpoint, are there certain things that you're looking for or seeing that I may not pay attention to. Yeah. So just one point of clarification. I'm not a psychologist. Okay. I'm thank a, you. <laughs> the term psychologist is reserved for clinicians who are licensed. I'm a performance psychology practitioner. So I work with people on developing mental skills to help cope with things like this, but I don't work with people with disorders or diagnosable issues. So I just wanted to put that out there. There's a lot of confusion in my field about that. So thank you for the opportunity to talk about this a little bit. Uh, From our vantage point, I think that what gives me hope is that people are finding things to be hopeful about despite all of the uncertainty and despite all of the grief. And so this is a topic that I know Andrew and I talked about at the Conscious Capitalism webinar, and I've been talking about a lot this summer, actually, this idea that hope and optimism through these times, whether it's confronting the coronavirus situation or dealing with all of the unearthing of the systemic racism issues that we're hearing about today, that hope and optimism aren't necessarily these like very positive feeling emotions, that people are finding hope and optimism in just being able to focus on productive action or just being able to think about one particular area of these large, vast, and overwhelming problems that they might be able to influence or have control over. And those are the things or the strategies that I think people have really wrapped their arms around to manage through this and find their way to figure out a way to be able to have a positive influence in the world when these problems feel so overwhelming and so vast that nothing we do or say or can think about makes a difference. It makes me wonder about what's happening with our brains right now. And are we being rewired neurologically or neurobiologically? Mm -hmm. Because we are having to reframe hope, optimism, accomplishment, achievement, all those things 
because they really are different today than they were six months ago. I know I'm thinking about things very differently. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, are there examples in the business world with folks you're working with that are coming up frequently? Yeah. So thank you for asking that question. I noticed that my mind really goes deep and wide when I think about answering it. One of the words for 2020 is pivot. And I've definitely seen a ton of that. Like, I don't know anyone who's not pivoting right now. So we are all bringing our products and services to the virtual world where we can. There's a lot of creativity, innovation, and I think that that's fueled by hope and optimism. Mm -hmm. The reckoning with race and racism in organizational and business settings is a very, very delicate conversation that I am really happy to say that I've seen some really courageous leaders start stepping into and being very open. It's creating some great conversations around trust. And I am also very hopeful that many organizations and their leaders are on the right track with those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's, again, one of the upsides, not that it's necessarily being experienced as a pleasant upside, but I think the idea that there has been systemic racism in many, many different areas of life, the fact that we're raising that to the surface and being willing to engage in conversation about it is really hopeful. I know that growing up as a minority woman immigrant to this country, I mean, there were lots of things that I experienced in my youth and through high school that I know that I struggle with still having to feel like I need to speak louder or in very particular ways to be heard. And so it is encouraging that when I think about my son and when he's older to think that hopefully some of the discussions and conversations and the awareness that is coming to the surface now can potentially pave the way for a better future for him and for mankind as a whole, I think is one of the things that gives me a little bit of hope through these times. Yeah. And of course, there's also, and I'm going to use the term that I learned from you all around regoling, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about that as well. But that's also happening. My husband works in the airline industry, mm-hmm. and his company is reducing headcount by 30%. So that's a lot of people that are being impacted. We're looking at what happens if he does lose his job, what are the next steps? So we're in a very different conversation right now than we would have been. But what do our goals need to be now? And maybe they're the same, but it sure has been a wake up call. Yeah. And I think that is true for a lot of people. And I just want to acknowledge that there's probably a continuum where some of these realizations are happening. So for some people who've worked in a particular field and the organization that they were a part of is no longer around, or you know maybe they were working in a restaurant and all the restaurants with the shutdowns have now shuttered up. And so they're having to think about where are my skills and capabilities going to translate to? How do I think about making a living and supporting my family? So there are some folks who are regoling on that front. And yep. then- there are others who are having to regoal about just what work life looks like. And so for I'm a teleworker, I work at home usually, and I'm usually juggling a lot of things. But my son is at school, and my workday is pretty clear. 
and I don't have a commute, which all bodes really well for my productivity. And with COVID, I've had to completely rethink what productivity looks like. I've had to completely rethink what school looks like for my son. So there's a lot of regoling happening there. And then there are people who've had five-year plans for what they want to do and having to completely think about what does my reality look like now and what can I still work towards and strive towards that's different from what I imagined even just January of this year. I think that, again, is one of the places where people are struggling to really adopt a way of thinking about the situation that helps them shift from there's a lot of stuff going on and it's chaos to, okay, given the circumstances, this is something else that I can hope for. It might not be the same thing that I was wishing for at the beginning of the year or what I had planned in my five-year plan, but here is a way that I can start to systematically work towards that new goal. I think that is really where a lot of this regoling process is happening. Yeah, it sounds like it's a shift. And one of the things as I was preparing for this and reading through some of the notes that I had taken was this idea of accomplishment versus achievement. Mm -hmm. So there were several distinctions that you all made. It was accomplishment and achievement, flexibility and perspective taking, way power and willpower. So Mm -hmm. there are so many concepts that are really helpful in thinking about the situation. So I'd love to hear anything that you want to say about that. And maybe we can even start with, since you were just speaking about working from home and how you always teleworked, but now your son is at home and I've got clients that have three children under the age of seven Mm -hmm. and they're high performing executives. And now the kids are home and Sometimes things don't go so well and there's guilt and all of that. So what about that? Yeah, I think this is where the distinction between achievement and accomplishment is really important. So as a performance psychology practitioner with a background in applied positive psychology, I'm often navigating the tension between helping people do better at whatever craft they've chosen for themselves, whether it's working in the military or in a corporate setting or athletics, and balancing that with how do you do that and still maintain some degree of well-being? Because it's my fervent belief that you can have both, that you can do well and be well. There are lots of misconceptions about that out in the world. And so a lot of what people have been trying to think about through this crisis is how do I get a little bit of both? And it's hard. I can share just from my own personal experiences that as a really driven, achievement-focused person, that the first month of this shutdown was really hard. I felt like I couldn't accomplish as much as I would have liked to for work. So I was feeling like a bit of a failure on that front because I put so much pressure on myself about the work that I wanted to get done and being available for my teammates and being a good supervisor and all of these other pressures, then I felt like I'd fall short as a parent because I was on teleconferences all day or in meetings all day and not able to help my son with his homeschooling. And so I think one of the things that is really difficult for high achievers across the board is this having to reshape your idea of what achievement really means. And that's tough. That's a really, really hard pill to swallow for a lot of people who are goal-focused and achievement-driven. And so some of the skills that we've talked about with whether it's athletes or business people or folks in the military is how do you figure out how to still achieve a sense of accomplishment 
still putting one foot forward towards the goals that are meaningful to you on a day to day and finding ways to celebrate those successes instead of hanging all of your sense of accomplishment on an achievement, on an outcome goal that we don't know if it's possible for that outcome goal to materialize or not. So if you think about an athlete, let me make this more concrete. If you think about an athlete, athletes are often training for their next competition. And so I am working with one athlete, a young woman, and all of the qualifying competitions have been canceled for the rest of this year. Mm. And so helping her think about what is driving and motivating you to train hard and to put your best foot forward when you show up at training every day in how you live your life and how you feed yourself and getting the amount of rest you need. These decisions are framed in a very different way when you don't have that goal that you're striving towards, which is to go and do well in that competition. So when that is absent, you have to help people think about what do I then think about on a day-to-day basis that's still going to get me engaged in goal-directed behavior, that's still going to move me in the right direction, even if I don't know when that next competition is going to be. And that's a really difficult mental process, I think, for a lot of people to engage in. And that is where this idea of reframing really helps, where you sort of narrow your field of focus and you think about maybe on a day-to-day or a week-to-week basis, how do you define accomplishment for yourself? How do you feel a sense of fulfillment in what you've been able to do that week? What those things are might look very different now during COVID times than they did in typical times, but that's also part of the process. Boy, I bet that is really difficult. I'm just listening to you here and knowing that I've done my own type of regoling, but it feels much simpler. And so I just think of what are the small things on a daily basis that I can still be proud of, mm-hmm. even though the big goal may have moved or maybe it's not going to happen, but how do I narrow my field of focus and be satisfied with the smaller accomplishments during the day. And that is a big reframe. And yet when you hold on, and I think this is something that I really learned from you and Andrew in the breakout session through Conscious Capitalism, is holding on to a hope or a goal that actually isn't possible right now is counterproductive. And so there are sometimes we have to let go of that hope and those goals so that we can reframe and focus on something that is productive, that is achievable, so we can have that sense of fulfillment. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is where in that webinar, Andrew and I referred to Dr. Christopher Futner's work, where he's working with parents of terminally ill children and helping them to think about what is something that they can still feel hopeful for in a situation where it feels like there's absolutely no hope. And so he's done a lot of great work in this area. His team is actually the group that talks about regoaling and has a model for that. But if you think about the average person and the goals we set for ourselves, we set those goals because they're a reflection of things that are really valuable to us. And they're often tied especially in the performance domain, deeply to our sense of self-worth and our identities. And you wouldn't have set those goals if they didn't mean a lot to you. And so telling somebody that, okay, we need to let go of that or think differently about that is psychologically a really difficult process. And so walking people through that, I think, is really important. Just helping them understand that the grief and the sadness and maybe even anger that they feel is all part of the process but that those things, those emotions are there to help you make better decisions and to 
acknowledge the reality of how hard that is, but then to shift the lens and say, given all that is here, what is still something that you can be hopeful for? And Andrew and I in the Conscious Capitalism webinar talked about the difference between willpower and waypower. So if you think about C.R. Snyder's hope theory, people feel hope when they have three things. They have a goal that they're focused on. They have beliefs that they have the capacity within them to strive towards that goal and that there are avenues available for them to be able to pursue those goals. And so one of the things that we've been talking a lot about is this idea that even if that goal isn't feasible anymore that you can focus on bolstering your belief in yourself, right? Learning about what capacities you have to better navigate and be able to get to that end goal whenever that is going to happen. And then also exploring through this time, what are the alternative pathways to get there? Because point A to point B is no longer available. What are all of the other pathways? What are all of the other behaviors that I can engage in to help me make productive movement towards that goal? That's something that is a shift that can help people, again, not lose sight of their goal, certainly, because that's not something that we want people to do, but to think about things in a different way that's still going to help them engage in productive action and productive thinking. So we both work with individuals, either in a business or a sports performance context, where they have engaged with us as their coach, their one-on-one. And so we can lead people through different conversations or explorations about goals, beliefs, and avenues available, mm-hmm. these three dimensions of hope. Do you have a recommendation or a process for people to use when they don't have a coach? Yeah. So Andrew Soren, who was my co-presenter with Conscious Capitalism, he's got a great organization where a few of us are advisors called Eudaimonic by Design. And I'll send you these links to include in the podcast notes. But we created a wealth of resilience resources on that website that help people think about all of these strategies and can provide at least a starting point for them to consider different ways to help them be resilient through this difficult time. And so there's one that I contributed to called Choosing Optimism, The Art of the Reframe. And it's a resource that really walks people through understanding how my thoughts are connected to the emotions I feel and the behaviors I engage in. And this is a reflective practice I think that any of us can do where we can better tune into how we interpret or think about or explain situations that we come across in life, and then pay attention to how they drive certain emotions we feel and the behaviors that we engage in or we don't engage in. So this is obviously the basis for the cognitive behavioral model, a lot of the foundation of resiliency training, as well as a lot of the foundation for performance psychology is about understanding the connections between those three things, your thoughts, your emotions, and your behaviors. And so an easy strategy, maybe not easy, but a starting place where people can start to practice this on their own is to think about in a moment when I'm thinking and interpreting a situation in a particular way, and I'm realizing that it's not driving to emotions that are helpful in that moment, or maybe it's leading me to engage in behaviors that are also not helpful, or engaging me to get stuck and not act when I should be acting. One of the strategies you can try is to reframe. So here's an example this morning. So I am, as my mentor would say, a recovering pessimist. 
And so <laughs> I wake, it's surprising to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I've had to work really hard at being an optimist, but I wake up in the morning and I think, oh, I have so much to do. I can't believe I agreed to do this podcast. It's, it's adding <laughs> like another stressor. And so I see threats everywhere. That's just the way mm. that my brain is wired. And I can probably get a therapist to explain to you why I am the way I am. <laughs> but that's just the way that my brain is wired. And so I've had to train myself to look at threats as opportunities, right? So I learned through the work that I do that as human beings, we're really good at spotting threats because that's what's helped our survival. But many of the threats that we see in the environment can also pave the way for opportunities. And so whereas this morning I woke up and the first thought I had was, oh God, I can't believe I have to do this podcast and I have all these (laughs) hesitations to get together. I had to sit down, reflect on what I was thinking and think about the emotions and behaviors they were driving. So I didn't want to get out of bed. I was feeling a little sluggish this morning. And so I had to sit down and intentionally reflect on that system and then say, you know, this is a great opportunity for me to elevate the voices of women in the field. This is a great opportunity for me to talk about my colleagues who I'm really proud to be associated with. And so changing the story that I'm telling myself about the things that I have to do, the threats that I see, and changing that story into seeking out where those opportunities are really helps to shift the emotions that I feel, which then helps to shift my motivation to engage in the behaviors that I need to engage in. And so there are In the resource that I'll send you to link to, there are a couple of other examples. One other one that we've been talking a lot about is how to identify one productive action that you can engage in when everything feels so chaotic, which is a lot of what people are experiencing right now. So instead of thinking about the vastness of the world's problems and how little control we have over all of the variables, one thing you can think about is where in this equation do I have a little bit of influence? And maybe just focusing your energy and your emotions on that action is going to be much more productive than thinking about and becoming overwhelmed by the many, many things that we have no control over. And I think, and by the way, I'm not sure who to give thanks to that you were able to reframe this morning. I would have been really disappointed (laughs) if you (laughs) decided not to do the podcast this morning. But I think that when we find ourselves in these, I would call it kind of a stuck place or telling a really unproductive story, Mm -hmm. that if you have someone that you can talk to and make a request, I need a reframe or I need to talk this out, or can you listen to me and provide a different perspective Mm -hmm. or something that I think one of the places where we get stuck is thinking that we have to figure it out all by ourselves and we forget that we have a resource and it doesn't have to be a professional. It can be anybody, but for some reason, many of us don't reach out. Yeah, I love that. I think that's so important that, again, my mentor would say resilience is a team sport, right? So Ah. this is my mentor, Dr. Karen Rivich at the University of Pennsylvania. She has taught me everything I know about resilience. Mm -hmm. And I love that phrase because it really does remind us that we're all in this together. And if COVID has taught us nothing, I think, at least for me, I've really learned to depend on the input of my very astute nine-year-old who reminds me that I tell him all the time that he needs to start and finish things. So if I'm slacking and not finishing something, he will remind me (laughs) that I need to (laughs) sit down and get to work. And my husband, who is always someone who is very willing to offer me a different perspective and spending so much time with them has really helped me understand the value of their input and feedback. 
in helping me cultivate my own sense of resilience. So I love that point that you brought up. Excellent. Before we close our conversation, will you explain willpower and way power and how they are important at any time, but especially now? I love those two terms for some reason. Yeah. To me, willpower is about having faith in yourself that you can engage in the activities that you need to engage in to get you closer to your goals. Sometimes that means choosing what you should do versus what you want to do, making those tough decisions, and also being able to leverage the self-regulation to be able to be disciplined about engaging in those activities when there are so many other things that you would rather be doing. The way power, I think, is an important component because it's really about helping you see that there is flexibility in being able to pursue your goals. And so we often set goals. I can just be really honest about my own personal feelings about goal setting in performance psychology is I'm not a big fan of it because it's so focused on achievement and accomplishment Mm. that I think sometimes people forget that there is joy to be had. There are celebrations to be had. There are lessons to be learned in all of the things that get you from point A to point B. And even if you never make it to point B, that there is so much Hmm. that you can take away from those experiences. And way power is about helping people think really flexibly, coming up with contingency plans for when their initial plans don't work out, and really being able to embrace the experience and be flexible in exploring new options when they're met with challenges or adversities, which always come up along the way to a goal. Okay. I am understanding that differently today. And I appreciate the, I'm imagining polarity thinking or polarity management where you want both. Mm -hmm. You want willpower. And I think you had described willpower earlier somewhere. I had a note that it's about agency, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of agency with willpower. And I think of some of the experts out there, whether it be Stephen Pressfield, do the work, just put your butt in the seat and sit down and write. If mm-hmm. you're a writer, whatever it is, just do it. You know, mm-hmm. that's the willpower part. And I like the context that you added there about having trust in yourself. And so more agentic and way power feels a little more flow and flexibility, creativity, feeling the experience. And it's not one or the other, it's both. And if you have too much of either one, it feels flat or impotent, but being able to balance way and will feels very life-giving to me. Yeah. And I think it also gives you more possibilities to explore. So you're absolutely right that willpower is thought of agency thinking, way power is thought of of, as pathway thinking. Those are other ways that those dimensions are labeled. But if you think about feeling hopeful about working towards a goal, you have to have a sense that there are lots of different places for you to begin to make it to that end goal. And I love that thinking about both willpower and waypower gives you a lot of possibilities of where to start and how to sustain that energy to continue moving towards the things that are most meaningful to you. I think if someone has a lot of belief in themselves, but don't see the pathways to get there, that's not going to work. If there are a lot of pathways to get there, but you don't have the drive to be able to make the tough decisions to be disciplined, then you're not going to get there either. And so you're absolutely right that in order to help people to move in the direction of the things that mean the most to them, you need to have a good balance of both. Mm -hmm. It feels like a really nice flow. Yeah, absolutely. 
Gloria, I have exhausted all of my questions and my wondering around, and I want to make sure that if there are other things that you feel like are really important for us to cover during this conversation, that we do that. So what have I left out? Nothing that I can think of. I think in a webinar last week, someone asked, again, just going back to where we are right now, that things feel like they're in a lot of turmoil and that there are a lot of moving targets, whether it's COVID or whether these conversations about just in the broader political arena about the future of this country. I think people are feeling lots of strong emotions and feeling overwhelmed. And I think that it's really important to think about your well-being through these times. And the moderator on the panel last week asked, what's one thing that you would recommend people focus on in this time conceivably between now and when a second wave is going to happen. And I know that you mentioned already that in Texas, things are rolling back and shutting down again. And whether it's athletes or whether it's professionals, I think this time right now is such a valuable point through this pandemic where you can really reflect on what have I learned about myself and the people around Mm. me and my own capabilities in the first time the country shut down. And how am I going to apply those lessons to be more flexible or more resilient or Mm. more adaptable as things continue progressing? We don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know if there's going to be a second wave and things are going to shut down again. But really taking this time to reflect on those things as well as think about how you can prioritize aspects of well-being because ultimately at the end of all of this, that's going to be the thing that enables us to muddle through is looking to the relationships that we have. It's taking care of our emotional health and our psychological health. It's making sure that you know our families feel safe and supported. Those are the things that are really going to drive our ability to be resilient and to perform at our best given the circumstances more so than anything else. And so I can't emphasize that last point enough. Yeah, I agree 100% with you. And I'm really happy that you brought that up. The well-being really is the foundation to our response in the way that I see it. A positive response requires some degree of well-being. Yeah. And I don't know if I mentioned this on the Conscious Capitalism webinar, but a colleague of mine, we made up this acronym. Whereas in performance psychology, we talk a lot about setting SMART goals the specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-bound goals. This is a time right now where we should also focus on dumb goals. (laughs) So dumb goals are about deliberately underachievable, malleable, and being goals. So thinking about what are the things that you can set goals for that also rejuvenate you and help you feel nourished and help you feel like you have a sense of contentment in your life you need to prioritize those things just as much as you prioritize your performance goals in order to stay resilient and be able to get yourself and your family through this crisis. Well, I never thought I would hear an expert in performance psychology talking about dumb goals. (laughs) (laughs) My dumb goals. I don't know if you've had any, Leanne, through this, but I started baking sourdough bread. I wanted to read more cookbooks. And so those are some of the dumb goals that I set for myself. Oh, I wanted to play more Mario Kart with my son. And so those kinds of goals, I think, are things that we don't often think about. But when I think about how I want to live my life and the things that replenish my tank so that I can push on the gas harder when I sit down to do meaningful work or to make a contribution to the world in another way, having those goals fulfilled really help 
fuel other accomplishments in my life. And so I've tried to make a purposeful shift to thinking about how to be more intentional about setting and striving towards dumb goals as well. You've just given us a good starting list for some dumb goals. And I do know a lot of people are doing a lot of baking these days. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's been great, but the accomplishments will always be there. The world will be there to await you to show up and be able to strive towards those things again. I think right now we really need to be paying attention to our well-being and figure out how we can support our families and support our employees in an organizational context to really help them navigate this crisis successfully. Beautiful. What a great way to end. Gloria, can you give us the URL for your website? I will link to your LinkedIn profile and other articles that you've written as well. But for now, just the URL of your website would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So my website is www.performpositive.com. And you'll find a little bit of information on me there. And I'll be happy to send you all of the resources and articles that we mentioned in today's conversation. This has been delightful. It's been energizing for me. Thank you so much for saying yes to the cold call. I appreciate your intent around why you said yes. And the conversation's been just fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Leanne. If you like what you heard today and the direction this podcast is pointed, subscribe to Rice Leaders Radio on iTunes, leave us a comment and a five-star rating. You can also check out the Rise Leaders website at www.rise-leaders.com to find the resources I pull from in my coaching and consulting work and that I find central to transformative leadership. If you're committed to leading with a clear vision and from core values and taking your team to the next level, then get in touch. You can reach me, Leanne Mallory, from my website. I'd be honored to hear from you. I appreciate you tuning in today and especially for being the type of person interested in learning more about how you can elevate your part of the world. Take good care. 